Welcome to the Everyday Changemakers Podcast. I'm your host, Dave McManus. On the podcast, I interview everyday changemakers to learn more about their story, how they began, and what challenges that they had along the way. With this podcast, I hope to inspire other people to take action on the things that they're passionate about to make the world a healthier, safer, and more inclusive place. In this episode, I interview Sabrina Paceman. Sabrina is a product design engineer who's been working at Apple for just under the last six years. She's worked on products that have been used by millions of people across the world, such as the MacBook Pro and many others. She recently started a company called Fix the Mask, where in response to COVID-19 aims to help medical professionals and many others to get more affordable masks to keep them safe during the pandemic. Sabrina, welcome to the Everyday Change Bankers podcast. Thank you so much. So excited to be here. Could you kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, definitely. So my name is Sabrina Passman. I am the founder and head mechanical engineer of Fix the Mask. My background is in biological engineering and mechanical engineering, and I've spent five years at Apple trying to learn how to bring products to market that not only are functional, but ones that people actually want to use. So the whole culmination of my passions has really led me to my venture currently, which is Fix the Mask. Amazing. And would you be able to tell us about a few of the projects that you worked on at Apple? Yeah, I was in the Mac PD department, and so I worked on basically all aspects of the laptop design and more recently the Mac Pro, which was a really cool opportunity. The things that really stood out to me personally and my favorite parts of working on it were being able to prototype and iterate on the different uh, parts of the designs prior to the devices actually getting into the user's hands. And so we got to do you know some internal user research that was actually really exciting. Amazing. So you're the CEO and founder of, of Fix the Mask. Can you tell us a little bit about how did you come up with the idea and you know what were you doing at the time? Yeah, definitely. So the first problem as an organization that we're trying to tackle is the lack of PPE. This was a very personal problem for me at the beginning of the pandemic, especially because uh, my brother-in-law is a emergency doctor on the front lines and locally in the Bay Area. And back in March, his hospital was one of the first to become short in uh, N95 respirators. And it was really appalling to me to see um, how completely underprepared we were as a global community to respond to something of the scale. And on top of that, unfortunately, this lack of PPE and lack of N95 respirators uncovered so many socioeconomic injustices that have been around forever, but it was just really disheartening to see. As the pandemic progressed, we noticed that, you know, private hospitals were eventually able to have enough PPE resources, but public hospitals did not. Wealthy neighborhoods eventually have been able to open up to outdoor dining, at least, while the Black and Latino neighborhoods still see rampant spread of the virus. And the problem here is just so much deeper than the lack of, of masks, but definitely the first step is to find a way to provide masks to everyone. It's amazing. I like how you are talking about the problem as a whole. How, how, did you, how did you, I guess, first, you, you knew that it was a problem as your brother-in-law, but how did you start to come up with 
some of the potential solutions or what was your process? Yeah, so I am an engineer at heart and I knew that there had to be a solution that people are missing. And the thing that is so critical here is that not only does a solution need to be effective, but it also needs to be affordable. So moving forward, I looked into first, uh, why are N95 respirators the golden standard? What makes them so good? And it comes down to the fact that they're able to fit well to the user's face and also filter well. So I have this kind of gross analogy about how coronavirus is spread and the CDC actually just on October 5th very recently came out with the information that the virus is now aerosolized. And so that's why N95 respirators are particularly good for the situation. So the analogy here is coronavirus basically is imagine instead of a giant cloud of virus, you're imagining a giant cloud of mosquitoes. <laughs> and these mosquitoes, instead of biting you on your skin, like to enter through your nose and mouth. So here's the thing that N95 respirators do. If you wanted to find a way to block this giant cloud of mosquitoes into your face, you want to have two things. Firstly, you want your mosquito net that you're trying to block them out with to be very, very fine. Make sure that the holes in the mosquito net are smaller than the actual mosquitoes. So that piece is called filtration. Um, the second thing is that you'd want to have that thing sealed directly to your face. You don't have any gaps in there so that mosquitoes could like fly around and like enter your nose and mouth through the sides, right? And so that is fit. And so that's what N95 respirators do so well. They have both the fit aspect and the filtration aspect completely covered. So does that make sense? <laughs> that's kind of gross to think about. No, I think that's an awesome analogy and, you know, something that, uh, I mean, something that makes people really think about it and, and, and stop. So one of the biggest things that a lot of people, you know, the virus is invisible. So, you know, I, I really like that. Analogy. Yeah. And going off of that invisible aspect, the thing is that obviously coronavirus is way smaller than mosquitoes and how much smaller than a mosquito is it? It's a hundred thousand times smaller. So that's the scale that we need to think about when keeping these holes and gaps in our masks small enough that things can't enter. They need to be really, really not airtight because you still need to breathe, but definitely um, need to make at least a, an intense obstacle course for these um, mosquitoes slash coronavirus particles to get in. So that's the main thing that I think a lot of people were missing is that they would either care about filtration, um, meaning that the holes are really, really small in your mask, but they would totally miss the fit aspect of it. So we need to have a solution that's completely comprehensive. Now, what's really cool about this, the way that we've approached the problem, is that the material that makes N95 masks effective is something called meltblown fabric. That special fabric material is exactly the same material that is found inside of surgical masks. And the reason why this is so cool is that N95 masks right now on the market, you know, go from like six to eight dollars per piece, which is absolutely absurd but you can still get surgical masks for 30 cents to 40 cents a piece, making them a lot more affordable. So this checks the box for making something that's widely available. The obvious problem with surgical masks is obviously that they don't seal well to the face. And so all that we are doing as an organization is providing an extra layer on top of the surgical mask to really press it against your face and obtain that good seal. It's amazing. And when you, when you were getting started, obviously you, you talked about you know, what, what's the solution right now? Obviously the N95, but it's too expensive. What were some of the things that you went through to, to dig deeper into the problem space to understand, you know, what might be some of the solutions? Yeah, so there definitely are a lot of mask solutions out 
in the market right now. And I think the main thing that other groups have tried and have failed at is that they've only focused on one of the two criteria, like either focused on it being um, effective or they focused on something that is comfortable, but uh, never really gets to market, right? So we have to have, for a solution to this pandemic, the product actually needs to not only work really well, but it also needs to be available enough to actually be accessible to the wide community. We also prioritize comfort. If the solution is not comfortable, no one's going to wear it. And then the final thing, if it's not affordable and people can't buy it, there's nothing that, no matter how good your solution is, if people can't actually have the funds to purchase it, we're not going to get out of this pandemic, right? So the thing that at the beginning of the pandemic, there were so many cloth masks and cloth mask patterns that were being shared, but the effectiveness of those cloth masks wasn't actually tested. So there was that problem in itself. There's another group of people that worked on 3D printed masks, which are super cool. But the problem with those is that 3D printing is inherently an extremely slow process. You cannot mass manufacture 3D printing. So those two sides of the problem were being addressed, but not as a whole. And so that's where we're coming in. So what we're trying to prioritize are four criteria. We need a solution that is effective. We need a solution that is comfortable. We need a solution that's affordable and a solution that's available. And so keeping those four criteria in mind are what we moved forward with in designing our different iterations of our product. So we started actually with something extremely simple. We started with literally putting a rubber band on the outside of a surgical mask um, and using that rubber band to seal against your face. And um, it checked off four, uh, or rather three of those four criteria. It was available, effective, and affordable. The only problem was it wasn't comfortable. But we showed this out into the world. Um, we put out a YouTube video, and it was crazy how fast the idea caught fire. It was, uh, we got 600,000 organic views on YouTube in a matter of weeks. And it was widely shared in third world countries like the Philippines and also among populations in America that weren't prioritized at the time, like dentists and hospital workers that weren't nurses and doctors. So it was really interesting to see that, you know, the appetite for this type of simple solution is so, it's there, people need it and people want it. But, and actually, in order to determine the success, the success of the solution, you need to really have all four of those criteria. So it wasn't fully adopted. Um, like you don't see people walking around with rubber bands on their masks um, because it wasn't super comfortable. And so we got three of the four, but we knew we needed to get four out of the four um, to actually have something that would help solve the pandemic. So um, the next iteration that we moved on to was what we're calling our version 2.0, which is cut out of a rubber sheet. And we made that one to prioritize comfort. And we also, um, still had the accessibility piece uh, near and dear to our hearts. And so we released our design completely free for download on our website, linked to all the materials that you would need. It was literally only one rubber sheet and some scissors. And that solution was also downloaded fervently, particularly in the dental community. So we got some feedback though on that solution. While it was affordable and effective, it still wasn't the most comfortable. And there was still a barrier that having to DIY it People found that as like too high a barrier to entry. So we weren't able to check off the availability of that solution. So from there, we took the feedback from our version 2.0 and have now iterated on our current product, which is the essential mask brace. We feel that this solution checks all four of those boxes. 
and we've paid very close attention this time to comfort. And uh, what we're trying to do moving forward is basically offer this at a price point, obviously, that is very affordable. So it's the solution comes out to a third of the price of other solutions on the market with the same efficacy. It's available. We're mass producing it, making sure that people can order it. It's comfortable. We've done lots of uber testing over the course of multiple months to make sure that we have the design exactly right. And most importantly, it is effective. We've been testing our design per the standards that NIOSH tests their N95 respirators to, and we have passed the critical tests. So this solution ties into our mission of healthcare quality by creating a solution of um, masks that checks all four of these boxes. We're able to help bridge the gap in terms of protection available for everyone. That's amazing. I, I really love the, uh, the structured approach, especially around the problem definition and really having that before you started. I mean, obviously, uh, you being an engineer is probably uh, a big part of that, but I think that's so interesting to hear the, the evolution of, of, of the product over time. Definitely. What, and actually, quick, quick question, is this your first venture that you've started? Yes, this is the first venture that I've started. What have been some of the challenges for you along the way? There have been a bunch, but what's fun about it is that it's problems that I love, like interesting problems that I love to solve. I think the first piece of advice though that I would give for anyone that's new to starting your own venture is that you can't just think of a solution to a problem. You also have to think about the implementation of your problem or rather of your solution. It's not enough to make the best product in the world if no one can use it or if no one can have access to it. So thinking about that solution comprehensively is, I think, extremely important in making products that actually will have an impact in the world. In terms of the challenges, I think it feels like you're you know, trying to drink from a fire hose in terms of the information that you're trying to learn on a daily basis has pushed me really out of my comfort zone as my background is you know, purely in engineering. But... There's so many different facets of problem solving that occur as you're starting your own venture. And I think the most important piece of advice that um, I've used widely is to never be afraid to ask for help and always feel, find people that are willing to tell you about their experiences and give you tidbits of advice throughout the way. And that has helped immensely. That's awesome. And you know, what does the team look like right now? Yeah, so we have a really strong team. We have myself and we have a um, head of customer experience who is wicked smart and is equally motivated in terms of bringing the product to not just to drop this product somewhere and leave it, but also understand the user behavior and make sure that people actually, it's a product people want to use. And so I think every single person on our team is really holding that to the core. We also have a great group of advisors. Um, that have experiences spanning from, you know, uh, working at uh, Amazon corporate headquarters to figure out the manufacturing fulfillment side of things. We have an advisor who is the ex-CEO of uh, Shutterfly. So we have someone who is very experienced at running large organizations. We have such a vast network so far of really, really great people. And it's been incredible to, I think one thing that I, I miss during my corporate life was that I did not see the value of networking. In fact, the word networking always sort of like made me cringe inside because I don't like necessarily just talking to random people and being like, look at all these cool things I've done. So that's in my mind what networking was. But as 
I've started this venture, I realized that uh, there's so much that other people have to offer. And if you ask the right questions, like everyone is so willing to help. So um, I think the ability to be open to asking for questions, as I mentioned, but also not being afraid to find people and tell them about the exact problems that you have, because you'll be super amazed at, at what you'll, you'll see. I want to dig into something you mentioned before about it being really important to understand how the product is going to be used in the markets or how it's going to be adopted. I think that's something that I guess a lot of companies and, and, and a lot of social enterprise probably miss out on. How, how have you been looking at that and, and how's your team trying to nail that? Yeah, so the first step was to identify which industries would immediately benefit from this the most. We found from the very beginning of the pandemic that the dental industry uh, was almost like forgotten. <laughs> and so we basically started there. We started with talking to a bunch of different dental practices, giving them our prototypes and getting their feedback. So we would basically send them samples and we had user studies that were run over the course of seven days. And they had questions like, you know, how do you feel with the mask day? How long did you wear it for? What is the comfort level like? You know, where, if you're experiencing any kind of uh, discomfort, where are you feeling it, et cetera. And so those early questionnaires that we sent out were extremely valuable in being able to have the solution that we do have today. It's amazing. And kind of a more of a tactical question. How did you get, how did you get those first interviews? Yeah, we started out on our social media pages, which is pretty, it's incredible to, to see how much of an impact that can have. We basically created a resource, our website, that had all of the information that we wanted to share to everyone. So basically um, stated our mission, we stated uh, the importance of both fit and filtration on our website. And then we created a bunch, so we created a YouTube video in correlation with the website, which was very widely shared. And then through our Instagram pages and our Twitter pages, we basically interacted with people that found us through those website and through the YouTube channel. And from there, we had a lot of inbounds of people saying, wow, I like had no idea that fit was so important. I would love to try any samples of what you have. My dental practice does not have N95 masks or access to them. And I want to do whatever I can to protect myself. So that was where we started. And that worked out really, really well for us. That's awesome. And I guess looking forward, um, obviously, who knows when the, the pandemic is going to be finished and, you know, this is certainly not going to be the, the last pandemic that we have. What's, what are your goals and, you know, what does the future look like for Fixed Mask? Yeah. So as I mentioned, this is the first product that we are offering in a line of products that we envision to help healthcare as a whole and basically bridge those socioeconomic gaps that we see. I think this current product obviously has applications outside of the pandemic for any other type of aerosolized transmission. So any instance in which an N95 mask is needed, this is an excellent partner product potentially as we finish getting our certifications. But moving forward, we want to address other aspects of discrepancies in healthcare. I think what we pride ourselves most is the simplicity of our innovation. And that's something that I'm looking forward to expanding. There are so many other aspects of um, medicine that I think are, are overlooked. And innovation is something that is really hard to do in the medical space because there is so much regulation and for good reason. 
but that what that leads to is that parts of the medical industry are not innovated on, you know, for months or years or decades. And when you come back, you're like, well, this thing hasn't been changed in what 30 years, like it's time for a refresh. And so I think that's the space that we're going to be looking forward into next is trying to understand how we can basically refresh technologies that are already existing, but can be so much better. It's incredibly exciting. I think I spent a couple of years working in the healthcare room. You know, the healthcare workers are just so focused on, you know, helping people and, and they don't have time to, to look um, at these types of things. So I think it's amazing that you guys are uh, pushing forward on that. Yeah, we've noticed that as well, which is cr- pretty crazy. They are so dedicated to helping those around them that they basically put aside their personal discomforts on a daily basis. They're like, oh, well, this tool is like dull or something. And um, it takes me like five extra minutes to use, but because they have so much grit and they're, they're just inherently not complainers, they just power through it. And those are the types of things that, you know, if we were able to change those aspects of their day to day, not only are we going to make our healthcare professionals more effective, but also potentially just make their lives easier in general, which leads to people just being happier and uh, a better health care system overall. So we're really hoping that the products that we create have ripple effects, not just for the immediate thing that they're trying to solve, but also just create a better positive environment for healthcare workers. For sure. And I really like the point that you mentioned before about making sure healthcare is available for everyone and the economics of it uh, are there. I think that's super important. Key key question for you is that what advice would you have for somebody who's thinking about solving a problem in in a certain space? It could be, be, could be anything, could be environmental problem, could be healthcare. What advice would you have for that person who's, just thinking about it and about to get started. Um, yeah. My main piece of advice is that it doesn't matter how good your solution is if it's not implementable. So when creating a groundbreaking thing, if you have a new groundbreaking invention or a new groundbreaking way to, to solve you know, environmental climate change or something like that, it doesn't matter how fancy and elaborate the solution is if it can't actually be tangibly implemented. So problem solving is not just creating something that's really fancy and shiny and nice. It's also figuring out functionally and from an execution standpoint, how is this actually going to get out and affect the people that we're trying to help? So I guess my my main piece of advice is to think of the solution comprehensively. Amazing. That's great. How can people support you? Where, where should our audience go? Yeah, I think the, The first and foremost thing that I would love for um, everyone to initiate to do is to help stop misinformation about COVID-19. And it's really hard because there's a lot of misinformation being spread from various different sources. But where we as a company have been finding our sources of truth are going through the research papers that have been published specifically on the virus itself and how those things are transmitted and keeping up to date on that front and keeping up to date with other like-minded people that are actually, you know, asking the hard questions of and doing the hard research and not just, you know, accepting statements that have been thrown around. It's actually like getting down into the details. So first step, stop the spread of misinformation. Second step, second step would be to educate yourself as much as you can in terms of how to actually stop the spread of this, this pandemic. Amazing. Well, Sabrina, thank you so much for joining us. I have thoroughly enjoyed our chat and I've learned a lot. I'm sure our our listeners have too. 
yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. All right, that's another episode of Everyday Changemakers. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you could hit subscribe on the podcast player of your choice, that would be amazing. And head on over to dgmgrowth.com forward slash EC podcast to find all of the show notes and you can ask a question uh, to our guests on the show today. Thanks and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.